as a podcaster, we are, I am championing us to start a thought leadership podcast in the world of labor, in the world of manufacturing operations. And so that really we could get, not, not only could we get a lot of value from doing that and as far as positioning ourselves as thought leaders, but we could give a lot of value. Welcome back to my regular listeners, and if you're new to the show, I'm Harry Duran, host of Podcast Junkies, conversations with intriguing, interesting, and fascinating podcasters and podcast personalities since 2014. I probably need to do a better job of celebrating my wins as I just hit the six-year anniversary this past April, but uh, there's a little pandemic thing going on that probably distracted me more than necessary, but uh, I'm grateful to all the guests who have been on the show over the past six years, and looking forward to a whole new round of really exciting and fun interviews with folks the rest of this year. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Amy Woods, host of Content 10X. We shared the origin story of the Content 10X podcast and how she was able to grow her agency, Content 10X, to to the success that it is today. Make sure you check that out, episode 221. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and their wonderful line of sound cards. I'm particularly a fan of the Scarlett 2i2, which I'm currently using for this recording. The new 3G generation of sound cards provides higher quality recordings, and the best part that I love about it is the individual control it gives you over your headphone and your microphone gain options. You can find more information about the complete product line at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. This week, I get to speak to Noah Labart. He is the host of Code Story, a show that uncovers the world of digital startups. We were connected through the Squadcast team. We covered a wide range of topics, including technology startups, communication skills, and what is the ideal length for a podcast. Noah covers his own background and his startup variable and the initial response the company received in the marketplace. We talk about future plans and get slightly more geeky on some of the tech than normal, which is something that I always enjoy. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at Fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode to reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's jump into this conversation with Noah. So Noah Labhart, host of Code Story, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me, Harry. Super excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Again, just to preface for the listener, I feel like we're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing this for a while, but just kind of setting the context of where we are this recording. We're in early April uh, 2020. And everyone in the world is in mid-COVID coronavirus uh, situation. So I just want to check in with you. How, how are you and your family holding up with what's going on? No, I certainly appreciate that. You know, we're doing uh, as good as can be expected. Everybody's healthy, so I'm very grateful for that. My business is still going, so I'm very, also very grateful and humbled by that. You know, it's a little bit a little bit cooped up, us all staying in the in the house 24-7. <laughs> we try to get out for some walks and some fresh air every now and again. And we've been doing lots of house projects, which is not my, <laughs> not my f- most favorite thing to do. But but we've been needing to do it. So we, we've done it. But all, all, all is well. How about yourself? Yeah, same thing here in Minneapolis. Uh, obviously, all everything is locked down. The latest report is that president has 
said it's going to be at least another month, so the end of April, although the dates keep on changing. And I think what I've talked to people about is I've always, in, in, for myself, for, for things like this, imagine worst case scenario, because if it doesn't happen, then you're pleasantly surprised. And if it does happen, at least you're mentally prepared for how this can go. So I've told people in earlier conversations to just plan as if the rest of 2020 was going to be like this. And what would that look like for you? What would that look like for your family? What would that look like for your extended families? What would that look like for you? If you're podcasting, what would that look like in terms of how you think about guests and planning and then in in your business? Like, what does that look like from how you service your existing clients and how you go after new clients and how you look for new business opportunities? So I think I've been sort of having that hat on, that lens on lately, and it, it just helps me keep my eyes open for, you know, just because things are the way they are now, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean that that's how things are going to be. We've got talk show hosts broadcasting from their living rooms. <laughs> so there's a new reality out there. And I, and I think, I wonder if maybe you can speak to this to kick this off. But as we think about this new world that we live in, what are things that you're seeing in terms of opportunities and ways to pivot, you know, in terms of how we used to think about things previously? Sure. So my mind goes to, and what I've been, you know, thinking about mostly lately is just to a more digitally centric environment, planning for 2020 for every, for this to be the new normal for the rest of 2020 and start thinking about, okay, well, if that is the case, you know, how do we adapt to that in a fully remote way? You know, for podcasting and we're used to podcasting face to face, mic to mic. Uh, that's going to change, you know, and that's what we have great tools like Squadcast and, you know, other ones out there that help us do remote interviews. So that's, that's a great tool from a business standpoint, you know, what are we, how are we supporting people to be socially distant and, you know, supporting essential businesses? You know, how are we providing them? I'm a tech guy from my background. So how are we providing them with tools that help them you know, solve their problems and make their businesses work in this environment. So I start to think in that way, how do we position ourselves to use more, more technology? Yes, but technology in the right places in, in solving the right problems where my head goes. So maybe for the benefit of the listener, it would be helpful to give a little bit of context into how you got started with Code Story. What was the inspiration? I'm always curious as to how, you came into the world of podcasting and then specifically out of the, you know, what was the uh, inspiration for you to decide like, this is something that I, that I want to do uh, and how that started. Sure. Sure. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements that go into, you know, why I started the podcast and there's some contextual elements and there's some personal elements too. So from a contextual kind of standpoint, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time. I listened to a bunch of podcasts and really enjoyed them and started to get more into more story narrative based type podcasts and started listening to how I built this with Guy Ross and uh, really love, still love to this day, his podcast, love, love the way he interviews people, love the way he leads conversations. So, you know, being a tech guy, I'm a, I'm a CTO, I've been in technology for, for 15 plus years now. And being a tech guy, I was like, you know, this would be great to have stories like this written and narrated to music and there's there's sort of drama and climax and you can feel the tension building up in the story for tech 
you know, no, most tech podcasts out there are like, well, this is what I use to build this, or this is, these are the ones and zeros and how they lined up, which, which I like those two. I'm, I'm that tech guy too. But, but I was like, you know, there's something, there's gotta be something more artistic out there for the tech community to tell the story from the technical visionary standpoint as a human. So as a human, I'm a tech guy, so I'm going to be in tech, but I'm also going to experience like frustration. And I'm also going to experience like, I've got to make this decision and it's going to be the best decision right now, but it's going to suck later because I'm going to have to do this thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just, I want to hear those stories. And I love hearing those stories. Those are the kind of things that not only make me feel a part of a, you know, a tech leader community, but also give me, you know, hope that I can get through the latest challenge that I'm facing, you know, things like that. And so, I, I was like, man, I want to find a show like that. And I looked around, couldn't find it. Couldn't find the show. There were some some shows that did a pretty good job, but didn't didn't really focus on that artistic presentation of a story. Really trying to drive a, a narrative of the human aspect of walking through building a product from nothing to something. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm always. I had some friends that started some podcasts, and I was like, podcast has always been kind of interesting. Why don't Why don't I just give it a shot? So I had a longtime buddy of mine, his name's Ryland Barnes. He's a, a successful tank entrepreneur as well. He was actually my first interview on the show. We were college roommates, good friends together. So I, I asked him, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about starting kicking this show off. You know, I got this idea. I want to want to try it. What do you think? He was like, oh, I think it's great. I, I would totally listen to that. And I was like, okay, that means you have to be my first interview then. So <laughs> kind of roped him into <laughs> he just, it. So we, he didn't know he didn't know he was gonna be roped into that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And you know, tech guys don't traditionally like to be grilled on on a mic or a <laughs> you know a, about a human experience so it's it's interesting there so he, he came over to the house and you were supposed to talk for 45 minutes you know we, we poured a glass of scotch and talked for two hours and so you know then i had two hours of roll for the interview and i was like okay cool that was great that's sort of the contextual side of, of you know how i got started with the show and doing that first interview yeah it took me six months to get that first episode done which is funny <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and normal. I mean, every single podcaster, I mean, I, I know I use the Pat Flynn example. I think he sat on his first one for two years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, it's a, it's a self-expression thing. You want it to be perfect. And I had to get myself out of the way to make it actually happen. So I hired an editor. It was like, Hey, here's my vision. I need someone I can trust. Let's, let's go for it. So George Macharco was season one editor and he did a, a fantastic job. And just on the on the editing piece, it sounds like, you know, when you're referencing how I built this, you had an idea of something that you wanted and you're thinking soundscapes, music, sound design. Is, and is that the direction you gave George? And is that something he had had experience with previously? Yes. So sound design a bit. He was an experienced podcaster, experienced editor and, and a little bit of sound design. And he was able to compose and, and score some music for different parts of it. So it was kind of a half and half, uh, I would say maybe, maybe more like more like 70, 30, 70 pre-licensed music using it on the on the show and then also scoring some music for a part of it as well. So George did a did a great job. That was the vision I cast to him was like, hey, this is the show that I like. This is the inspiration for it. So what, how can we craft this into the story that I'm trying to, trying to create with code story? 
Uh, just interesting there just to, to dive deeper because I think as creators and as podcasters, you know, there's a wide variety of different ways we can produce shows. We can do everything just like the Joe Rogan three hours straight, no editing. It's going up on YouTube, like it or not, with the bathroom breaks and all. <laughs> and then, of course, you have like, you know, uh, Masters of Scale and, and you know, some of my favorite shows as well that do or full on, you know, and then you've got the Wondery shows like, you know, Dr. Death full on um, production. And so there's always a challenge, right? Because you're because you have something in mind of what you want. And I'm, and I'm wondering, did you feel like it was something where you you were willing to do the 50 50 energy split with, with someone like George to say, okay, I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to work with you to, to kind of like guide you through what I want. Or did you have enough confidence that if you found the right person and you gave them a high level overview that they could sort of meet you, you know, where you needed to be without you needed to be as hands-on. Cause I think as podcasters, we're worried like, Oh, from a cost perspective and from a time perspective, like I'd love to you know, this isn't your only job, right? So, you know, I was wondering how some, maybe if you could talk a little bit about your thought process as you, as you were kind of sussing that out. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. You know, I, I went through a, a couple of different mechanisms to make sure that George was one, the right, the right person for the, the role. And then also the, had the vision locked in for when he was taking on the episode. So in the beginning, I actually reached out to, I believe it's called pod people. Her name is Rachel, forget Rachel's last name, but pod people. And she's essentially a podcast recruiting uh, agency. Okay. And she got me hooked up with three or four editors that I interviewed. I said, Hey, you want a shot at this gig? Like let's, let's do a paid interview, right? Just you know, I'll throw some tracks. You put it together how you think it is. This is what I think the vision is for the show. And let me review those and kind of see, you know, how you, how you do it. I, I do sort of the same thing when I hire developers, my startup and, and previously my agency, get them to develop something and kind of see what their style was. So George, George came out ahead. He was one of the four and he came out ahead and, and ended up being an asset to the team. And, and the second thing that we did was we started working. We worked very closely on those first few episodes. It's like, okay, I want you to give it a shot. You know where my head is at. You know the feedback I've given you from your interview project. Take that feedback and apply it to this first episode. And we'll stay really close. So the first few episodes we were, you know, I was going in and listening to, to each episode and line item, maybe 20 things being like, okay, take this out, take this out, tweak this here, use different music here because it doesn't create the right feel. And after probably the first three episodes, he got it. He was in. And so we got to where we were, we were clicking, you know, George, George isn't working with me anymore on future episodes. He's, he's doing some other stuff, but he did a, a fantastic job getting, getting the show off the ground and grabbing hold of that vision. And what does that look like from a production standpoint when you have an episode? So I think it'd be helpful for the listener because this, I mean, it's a podcast about podcasting. So we get to geek out as much as we want about this stuff. Like it's in the inside baseball to so talk a bit, little bit about the workflow. Cause you know, I think about my show, uh, when I think about the different parts, it's having conversations, getting connections. And then I, I typically don't have anyone cold on there. So I'm always like, it's someone that's been in a warm intro and I want it to feel like it's a friendly conversation. So that's the nature of this show. So then I think about the interview, squadcast, get it saved. And then either I edit it or someone on my team edits it. And then we usually like write, write show notes and then post to the website and do all the social media production. So that's what we do from a workflow perspective. So I'm wondering when you think about, you know, walk us through maybe when you have a guest identified and then what that looks like, like moving forward, if, if that is the starting point, if there's another starting point, that'd be interesting to know. 
go through, you know, and I'll identify some, some individuals. Uh, I keep a pretty strong network as a CTO of, of other CTOs and, and tech uh, leaders or tech CEOs and things like that. So I'll reach out to their media groups and get them on the show. So I'll get them booked. Uh, usually it's not, it's warm, but, but warm from a, I send a LinkedIn message or an email or things like that. So we haven't had a pre-chat. They'll jump on Squadcast. We'll record the interview. I'll grab the clips. And what I do after that is I'll, I'll pop open logic and make sure and get the, get the tracks lined up, cut out anything that I, that I can cut out from, from the interview, but I'll also create my own narrative clips. So I do a show intro and a guest intro and the show intro is kind of a good, you know, it aligns with the hype music of the show, you know, and it's just kind of a, a quick little clip of like, you know, a teaser clip almost. And then I'll do a guest intro, which tells us a bit of their backstory. This person, you know, walked down this path and has this hobby and got into tech this way. And at this point in their life, they were frustrated with X. And so they decided to start this company and, and then it goes into the interview, right? So kind of, and, and, and that's a big Big thing that Guy Raz does too, too on, a, on how I built this. He, he usually starts it out with a little bit of a story. I think that helps to lay the foundation of the human element. Um, so I'll record those, export those tracks, and then put it into Dropbox. Then my my editor and his team will jump in and start doing their magic, put the music to it. And yeah, I have a new editor now. Uh, his name's Bradley Denham, and his record edit record edit podcast, I believe, is his company name does my editing and and he does a fantastic job. We're in lockstep with the music as well and the narration and the the vision. And he drops in a track. I listen to it and see if there's anything that needs to be changed. And then once it's done, then I'll upload it. I use Transistor for hosting, which I love. Popular in, in the tech community, in the SaaS and tech community. I had uh, Justin. Justin, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Justin Jackson on on, uh, on on the show as well. Yeah, Justin's a cool dude. I, I uh, I'm in his group, uh, Mega Maker, which is one of the, like, you know, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I actually had John, John, his partner on, uh, for episode eight for Adam Code Code Story. Great guys. They've, they've built a great product. So throw it up in Transistor, throw it up on the site and then schedule it to be, to be posted. That's pretty much the, pretty much the workflow. Are you thinking about how audio snippets will play? Whereas like if you had an interview, like tip, um, Almost all my stuff just goes out straight and sequentially in terms of how it's recorded. Do you do anything with the audio? Do you move stuff around? Do you kind of play stuff? Because then it starts, then you really need a, a different skill set because it's not just an editor. You need essentially a show producer, right? A sh- showrunner maybe just to kind of think about what story you want to tell. And, and maybe the giveaway there is that the show is called Code Story. So maybe that's something that you're always thinking about. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Sometimes we do move things around. We haven't in a while. Sometimes I'll be like, this question would make a lot of sense if we actually moved it up to, you know, question six instead of 12. But now that I've gone through a season, now that I've gone through, you know, we're into season two now, I've got a pretty good, pretty good idea of how to lay out the questions that tell the story that I'm trying to get out of the person. Mm, so, you're, so you're already thinking, because just from past experience, what are the best questions that lead up to sort of like open it up, like sort of origins, what happened in the past, you know, what did you struggle with, you know, just, you know, a little bit of the hero's journey <laughs> type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, tactically, the first question I ask is like, tell me about you outside of tech. And it's something that I use to write the intro. It's really, I don't, 
I don't ever put it in into the episode. It's really just a, t- a, a way for us to warm up with each other and talk about life and get acquainted and sort of connect a little bit before we start talking about the product and the path and everything. And, and it just, it seems to work out really well. Cause by that point we're kind of, we're warm. We're able to talk a little bit, a little bit more openly. How, how long do the episodes run? Cause for me, the reason I do the hour is because I find that it takes at least 10 to 15 minutes. And, and, and thankfully I've had some bit of a relationship. There's been the occasional, like first time I'm speaking to the person and just inevitably, like people need a little bit of time just to get warmed up and feel like it's kind of suss you out as a host as well. They're like, okay, like what type of questions are going to ask me or, or have they done their homework? And <laughs> there's a little bit of, I feel, always feel like there's a little bit of a back and forth happening in those first early minutes of a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's part of what, what is going on in, in that first part too, for code story uh, as well. But yeah, then, so the episode links are usually 30, between 30 and 45 minutes. I try to keep it 30 because I, I just want the rich bits of the story in it. We usually cut a lot, not a lot, but some of it out to make sure that the story flows really well. Sometimes it goes long. We actually had uh, Zach Moreno of Squadcast on uh, episode two of season, uh, season two. And we just got into it, man. We got into some really good conversation and ended up being 50 minutes long. And, and I was like, all right, this is, this is great stuff. I can't take any of it out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. So sometimes it goes longer, but usually 30 to 45. And so, and then once you've got the show produced and then you just do the, the, the regular promo stuff after that, or, and then, uh, you know, reach out to the guests and, and, and have, see if to the extent that they can help out with the promo as well. That's right. Yeah. Today, that's that's pretty much what we're doing. At one point, I had a, a girl working with me. Her name was Deanna, uh, Jana Chapman, and she was doing some promotions for me. She was doing social media and stuff. And she did a great job, but it just didn't make sense to pay for it anymore. That wouldn't get a lot of traction in maybe like Facebook. A little, We do pretty good on Twitter. LinkedIn is awesome for traction. But other than that, Pretty much just push it out to the, to distribution. I promote it to my, in, you know, my communities that I know that are, that are tech based, any hackers, Patreon, you know, a bunch of slack rooms. Cause I'm a tech guy. I've got slack rooms in and out every, every day. And that's pretty much it. I mean, not, not a ton of promotion yet, uh, which is something I have my eye on to be, to be completely honest. And I'm still trying to figure out what the right formula is. Have you looked at any of the in-app ad spots like, Overcast and Castro, because obviously the best place to find a podcast listener is on another podcast, right? Yeah, actually, <laughs> typically, you know, it's like the Amazon referral system. If you like this, you'll like this. So, uh, do do you see or do you notice anything spe- specifically with tech related shows where the audience comes from? I don't have visibility to that, but it's interesting that you mentioned the in app ads. I did just do a ad through Castro's. And, and it produced pretty good results. So I, I may try to sink some some funds as they come available into into that. Makes a ton of sense, but put a podcast in front of a podcast listener. So I, I probably will will pay a lot more attention to that. And uh, what's um, what episode are you up to now currently? So we're in season two, episode eight releases next week. Season one was twenty episodes with a few, with a handful of bonuses. So you know something like thirty something. How have you grown as an interviewer from the first time you recorded that first episode to you know, what you're producing now? A lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'd say 
stereotypically in the tech world, we're not known for being the best communicators. <laughs> and I'd say that's true for me. And, and so, you know, the idea of talking confidently in a microphone and communicating and elaborating in a clear way was difficult. And my wife can attest to that too. <laughs> but you know, the first interview I did, I was pretty timid. Uh, even the interviews after that, I was pretty timid with the questions and I was a little bit robotic for my taste. As I went through episodes, I just got more and more comfortable, you know, felt good about my setup, felt good about my tools, felt good about my voice, how I needed to to move, to project what I was trying to say. And, and so I started to you know gain more confidence. And, and also I'd, I'd even say doing podcast interviews uh, myself as well has been really helpful because it's just a, a time to record your voice and, and talk and tell your story and think about how you're crafting a, a message as you're saying it in real time. So that's been really helpful as well. But I've, I've grown in confidence in my, in my voice, I'd say the way I would put that. Um, and so for the benefit of the listener, obviously we're on Squadcast so we can see each other. So are, are you standing right now? No, because it... Uh... No, no, I'm I'm actually sitting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it, could not, it feels like because I can only see Noah from the waist up, but his posture it sounds it sounds interesting, but his posture is really good. And, and a lot of times, what I've seen that's helpful for me, and, and I'm sitting as well. But sometimes you'll notice that if you can open up your diaphragm, like when you're speaking, like you do get a better you know, like excitement. And I used to joke around earlier when I was in a, in a, in a different apartment that, um, you know, maybe just yell out loud or just laugh out loud, like right before you get on, because you may not think that you can hear when someone's happy <laughs> or when someone's energetic, but I think there's something energy wise that you bring into a conversation. And I don't necessarily do it all the time. I probably need to listen to my own advice here, <laughs> but just kind of like put yourself in a mood where you're like excited, like, like, you know, and, and just silly stuff let, that no one will ever know about, but just like, you know, giving a shout out or just, you know, uh, yelling like a woohoo, like right before you get started, <laughs> because it raises the energy level. I think, I think for the conversation, I think for you mentally. And when you bring that into the conversation, I think that helps carry you through the you know, through the talk that you're having with your guest. And I think it, I feel like it makes for better, for uh, a, a better conversation overall. And, and I'm wondering in the past interviews that you've had, if you've noticed when your energy level has been low, if that's affected the conversation. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's spot on. I think that what I've found myself trying to do, and, and I appreciate you noticing my posture. I try to try to keep that, uh, <laughs> keep that in check, but, <laughs> but yeah, what I've, what I've noticed myself doing, even when I'm, you know, I, I record my own my own ad spots and you know, narrated by the, by the podcaster or whatever however we say that and, and I'll even notice myself when I'm recording and I'm in my you know studio alone and my hands are just pointing you know and I'm I'm recording like I'm selling something to somebody you know and I'll start I'll do that during the interviews too when there's a question that I'm really excited about I'm like what about this you know and I'll I'll kind of point or I'll move my hands in a way yeah, to just really yeah, get yeah. my body and my energy flowing into the question and it it is it's captured on a microphone. And I think that's the, that's the kind of thing that you, I don't know, maybe most people don't think about until they start doing it and then they feel it and they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't put your finger on it. Yeah. But you know what, you know it when it's there. That's right. That's right. So how did you end up in, in tech? I mean, I'm always, I love, I'm a child of the eighties. So my early references go back to a Texas Instruments and a Tandy 1000 as far as my early computers. So I'm always wondering, um, I've always been fascinated with technology. So I'm wondering what it was like for you. Sure. You know, I, I have a interesting tech backstory. I, I didn't have a computer until I was a senior in high school. 
didn't have a cell phone until I was in college, which is is interesting because primarily I'm a mobile developer now. I'm, I'm a CTO, so I lead a team, but I'm a mobile developer by my most recent coding trade. Um, so I got into tech. I went to Texas A&M uh, University in Texas and started to study computer engineering, but didn't really know how to study at all. I just really was having fun. Ended up having to change majors out of computer engineering, which you know sounds like I'm about to say into you know something not as as difficult. But I changed it into applied mathematics. It was easier for me. <laughs> it was just the way I think in, in a math way, and you know got comfortable doing mathematics. Got to the end of my it was applied mathematics towards computer science. It was like a programming minor essentially. Got to where I was about to graduate. It was a semester away and I was like, I don't want to go be an actuary. I don't want to go be a statistician or a math professor. I want to write software. I've really fallen in love with this. And I was blessed. My grandfather paid my tuition for school and I went and you know, championed him. I was like, I only need one more year to get a computer science degree because there's so much overlap between math and computer science. I was like, can I stay for one more year and do this because this is what I really want to do. And and he he approved and stayed one more year and ended up getting two bachelors and and then got out of school and started working working in tech from then. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I also I mentioned my college roommate earlier. He was a very influential in in me learning building websites and stuff in our dorm room to where, you know, we had our own personal sites where you could, you know, back then it was cool to put up your pictures, you know, and links to all kinds of things and emails and your AOL instant messenger handle, you know, <laughs> yeah, ICQ and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 All the, all the cool stuff. So he was very influential, influential as well, but that's, that's how I got into, got into tech. I was pretty starved from it, I guess, from high school. I didn't, didn't know what I didn't know. And so I didn't really have a lot of tech growing up, but once I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, I like that. Do you think that helped that, that because you got into it late, you can almost relate to people who never were introduced to tech or have an aversion to tech or just are an older generation? Do you find like when you try to explain some of these tech tools and and uh, services to folks who are, are late to the game or, you know, of, of an older generation, do you, do you feel that you empathize with them more because you can almost feel like you were in their shoes at one point and you can help them, you know, bridge that gap. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. You can, you can look at tech like a human looks at tech and, and explain tech like a human looks at tech. I think it's interesting. People that, people that I have experienced that have done tech for a long, long time really, really get tech because they're really, really smart people. And, but they do have a hard time explaining it. They do have a hard time, you know, relating to the masses of how most people see tech. Uh, and I actually apply that to how I've, how I've built my team at Variable too. I actually have a lot of career change programmers that have graduated from a, a boot camp called Dev Mountain. And, you know, like one of my lead front end engineers, his name's Brian Hudson. He's a Dev Mountain grad, been with me for, for two years at Variable. He was an English teacher for 14 years, taught English to uh, middle schoolers. One of, the, one of the smartest guys in the world, but he was a teacher for a, for a long time. And and hats off to teachers because teachers have the hardest job in the world and they should be paid more. <laughs> so that, that's recorded and on the podcast. He jumped and decided he wanted to do coding and we gave him a shot at variable and he's amazing. I have seven Dev Mountain grads on my team and they're all career changers, two teachers, a recruiter, biomedical research, a handful of others that are all career changers. And the one thing that they share in common is they see the world through the eyes of someone who's a non-tech person because they were that person. And it's invaluable. 
So that's that's a nice segue into variable. So can you tell us a little bit about the uh, how how you started the company? And you said you previously you were you were at an agency and then you moved into it was was variable the startup that you moved into or was there another one? Yeah. So so I started. So I left the corporate world. I worked at Alcon Labs for eight years. Left the corporate world and started started my agency called TouchTap. And it was started out as mobile development and ended up being you know digital solution development. We built platforms for startups. And a couple of years in, I was like, I've got the itch. I want to build my own thing. This is changing for me now, but back then I was not the idea guy. I was the executor. It's like, I don't have any ideas, but all you idea people <laughs> need to come tell me all your ideas and we'll make them happen. Right. Yeah. And so, which was cool because, you know, I was doing an agency thing and, and I, I got to build a lot of cool startups. So I talked to my, my friend Rylan, I mentioned earlier, and I was like, Hey, if you know anybody that's looking for a technical co-founder, let's let you introduce me. I want to, I'm going to maybe give this a shot. And he immediately was like, you need to talk to Mike. So Mike was his long time, his brother's best friend growing up, longtime friend of his family's. We got hooked up and a little bit of a backstory. So at Alcon, I supported manufacturing as an IT manager. So supported two plants from an IT perspective, was in and out of the shop floor, understood the environment. And Mike Kinder, who's my partner, was a director of strategy for operations, uh, led operations at many different plants for GE and a couple of other things, did consulting for PwC for a long time. And he had this idea of, okay, we got all this technology coming into the world of manufacturing. We have all this technology that is going to be game-changing, but nobody can afford it. Nobody has the flexibility of their capacity to be able to use it. It's like if you don't solve the labor problem, you can't really justify spending all this money on this new technology. He said, so they need, they need an Uber for the shop floor, essentially. They need to be able to ramp up and ramp down their labor capacity to be able to meet their demand spikes and falls. So we got together. He pitched the idea to me. Having some experience in manufacturing, I was like, I can't poke any holes in this idea. This is a good one. I talked it over with my wife, decided to give it a shot. So formed the company in 2016. In May 2016, launched in February 2017. Uh, the product, our, our MVP prototype pilot product, <laughs> had to fix on-site for the first op that we ran. Op is a work opportunity. I should back up a little bit and tell you what variable is, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So variable is an on-demand marketplace for manufacturing and logistics supply chain labor. So we connect businesses with a third paradigm of labor. Uh, we enable them to have flexible capacity on top of their full-time workforce. And then we provide a marketplace for workers to be able to have diverse different work opportunities, have a flexible schedule and get paid daily. So we pay them every day that they're working. So we've built that. We launched in February 2017, and we are now in seven states and I guess 10 markets now and looking to expand kind of across the Midwest and Northeast this year, pending COVID, obviously. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, and it's variable V-E-R-Y-A-B-L-E. That's right. Yeah, very able. <laughs> What was the initial response? Because it seems like that seemed, that model, and I, I, I call it the unused inventory model, where it's essentially like the Airbnb, it's the it's you know Lyft Uber model. And uh, interestingly enough, we're, we're working on a, a project with my girlfriend here uh, in Minneapolis. It's called Photo Spaces, and the concept is photographers looking to book short term space in like a restaurant that has downtime 
or like bowling alleys or, or like cool diners, and just, you know, really eclectic looking places. And typically what you do, photographers need, especially here in, in Minneapolis in the winter, <laughs> are indoor spaces. And they honestly just need it for an hour. Like they bring in a they client to do a headshot with them. So, but it's this idea of all this unused inventory, that's all this unused spaces that are being put to, to better use. And so I think it seems to be like that's where the future is and the shared economy or whatever you want to call it. So I imagine that's where some of the th- the ideas you had in mind as you were putting this together. And I'm curious what, what the initial response has been. Sure. So it's, it's a great question. By the way, that's a fantastic idea. I love that idea. Uh, let me know when you're looking for investment. <laughs> right away. I <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, love that idea. Yeah. So the initial response was really strong. We we knew that the businesses were going to respond very well from an operations standpoint because operations people are always looking for a way to optimize their operation. Um, and they, and they kind of, they get it. They get the incremental gains and, and, uh, that are needed from flexible capacity. It was a kind of an easy way to sell it. So we knew they were going to respond pretty strongly. But what we didn't realize that were that the workers, the operators were going to respond so strong. We honestly thought it'd be harder to get the workers to, to the supply essentially to fill the funnel for the, for the demand. Mm-hmm. And it was the opposite. So it was, it, we have a, a good clip of adoption from businesses, but the operator adoption, the workers is just whew, people, people are signing up. They're ready to work, especially kind of nowadays with COVID and with the pandemic going on, people are signing up to get work. You know, 3.3 million people were, were laid off a couple of weeks ago. And there's a lot it's of people. Six million, up I to, think the report just came out today. It's crazy. Oh, it's six now. Oh. I think it's six, 6.6 6 or something. It's, it's, it's so crazy. It is, it is totally crazy. So people are signing up because they need work, they need income. And a lot of the businesses that we support are logistics, are, you know, third party distribute, distribu- third party logistics, distribution and warehousing, which are considered essential. And so there's opportunity there. Um, we support a lot of large scale medical distributors as well that are, you know, that are sending wow. products, uh, you know, masks and, and medical devices and things like that. So We've got work for people, and, and so they're able to sign up and take advantage of that. I wish that we we had a bigger footprint right now. We we don't, you know, we're just young, and our, our footprint is we're happy with it, but we wish we had a bigger footprint so we could, you know, help out further. So, who is an ideal company to be connected with? And obviously, now people are just, you know, probably in, in fire drill mode, you know, just kind of making sure they either keep the lights on or 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 just you know, are able to sustain the demand that they've received. Because like you said, if they are in medical devices, if they are industrials, industrial manufacturing, I mean, I've seen vodka companies repositioning to start producing, you know, hand sanitizer and giving that away for free. And, and so everyone's pivoting and just kind of thinking about how they can help in the short term, but then also thinking about how does this position ourselves for what we want to do long term. Um, so, are there certain company types of companies, types of industries where it'd be helpful? Like if they knew who you were, they, they most likely would be interested in your service. Sure. Totally. So our bread and butter is warehouses and distribution centers. I mean, that's, that's the perfect model because it doesn't require, it's not a regulated environment uh, where some of it could be, some of it's not. So I won't say that, but most of them are not regulated environments. They're, they're pretty low skilled labor needs. So they don't have to have a lot of training to come in and just, and do, the job. So that's our kind of our bread and butter and, and our biggest use case. We do support manufacturing regulated or not. We do support third-party 
logistics, kind of final mile delivery, mm-hmm. um, do some of those things as well. So those are our primary candidates, though. I'd, I'd say if someone is managing a warehouse or is part of a, you know, a distribution chain, you know, like I'm trying to, trying to think of a good good example uh, a company. So we, we support, so even furniture. So we support cons, furniture stores. We support their distribution, support the distribution of some health, a health trust, Medline, which are some medical distributors. So that's kind of our bread and butter. So if people have that and they're in the markets that we support, we could certainly help them with their capacity. Sounds good. And so if anyone is interested in applying, they could head over to variable. Is it variableops.com? Is that the? Yeah, variableops.com. And then there's a sign up link for businesses. And if they're workers, then there's another page that you can sign up there as well and download the mobile app. Yeah, it seems like it. these are interesting times because things that you thought might be an opportunity for growth or for providing a service that would be of benefit to, to folks in the community. I think it's drastically changed how we see our businesses in the past couple of weeks. And and I think everyone that I know of has are looking for ways to serve as well too. And I think are just more conscious of things that we can do if we are business owners to help the community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I'm wondering now, as you think about building your company and, and, and you know, keeping all, all the, the moving parts that you have on, because now you're, you're a host of a show now and all the challenges you have. So how do you think about where you're at as a business owner in terms of future growth and any challenges you might have with that? And then is, is there anything that you've been doing with the podcast that's been helpful for you with the startup and, and just thinking about, cause you're, you're talking to, you know, people who work in tech in companies and, and you have a whole team of folks that you, you've now hired in there. So I'm wondering if you've noticed any overlap in terms of how, how the two mix and match sometimes. Yeah, totally. I mean, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to the future growth kind of from, from a variable standpoint, the biggest thing that we're looking to do or, or the challenges we have future growth wise is educating businesses on this third labor paradigm. So a lot of manufacturing distribution that they, they do things a certain way and they've done it that way for, you know, 30 years. Right. Hmm. And so helping them think about things differently. They're usually pretty keen on the ideas from an operation standpoint, but then there's a whole slew of people that they have to run it by and get it approved by because that's the way manufacturing works. So educating businesses quickly on those quick wins that we can really get in the door there. So that's, I mean, that's our biggest growth factor that we pay attention to is converting people and letting them know about this third labor paradigm. And it's, it's easy to try and there's, there's very little risk to try it. So we're educating them to do that. As far as the, the podcast, it's interesting. So what I'm focusing on now is how to spread the word about, about code story and grow the podcast and get, you know, the show and the episodes in the, in the ears of listeners, the, the right listeners, mm-hmm. uh, the people that, that really enjoy it. And, and also I want to, grow the audience, not only to technical people, but to non-technical people too. I, I try to weave in and out the technical parts of the story, but I don't want it to just sit there. I want it to show the human part of the story, which is technical because it's a, it's, it's a technical leader, but it does, it's not all that. So I think it's interesting stories. There are interesting stories here for non-tech folks as well. So growing the audience that way. And that's, that's my, that's my primary focus there. Is there an opportunity for Variable to be a sponsor of the podcast or, or get a mention on it? Is that something you've been doing as well? You know, that there, 
There might be. I'm not sure that there's an overlap of listeners from variable. However, I will say as a podcaster, we are, or I am championing us to start a thought leadership podcast in the world of labor, in the world of manufacturing operations. And so that really we could get, not, not only could we get a lot of value from doing that and as far as positioning ourselves as thought leaders, but we could give a lot of value, which I think is the main part. So solidifying our position as we really know what we're talking about when it comes to, to labor. So that's going to be a thing. I don't know if I'll be the host of that. We have a, the team is now nearly 80 people and we've got some, a lot of really smart people when it comes to manufacturing. So I probably would help with it because just because I've got the experience, but. I would want to put that in the in the hands of someone else. The future of labor. The future of labor. That's right. <laughs> My marketing brain never stops working. So <laughs> if you ever want to jam on ideas for that stuff, because we do it for our clients as well. Because the other thing to think about is from an SEO perspective, we always tell clients when we're producing shows is think of it from an SEO perspective of what people are searching for or like a pain point they're looking for. So, you know, understanding the future of labor, like if you see that, you're like, okay, I know exactly, you know, it's not, it's not as catchy or a snazzy name, but it, it tells people like what exactly what it is you do. So, um, that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. You can make that phrase snazzy with colors and looks. Yeah. And yeah things, exactly. Right. Right. But if that's what they're searching for, that's what you want. Yeah. 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 So a couple of uh, questions as we wrap up, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> <laughs> what have I changed my mind about recently? I have changed my mind. I don't want to get too in the technical weeds, but this is the first thing, technical weeds was the first thing that comes to mind. I've changed my mind on monolithic architectures versus microservices. <laughs> <laughs> that might need a little bit of explaining for sure. the listener, but sure. So monolithic terms. Yeah. Monolithic backends, so the brains of software are just one giant system. Whereas microservices are many different small systems that have specific purposes. Like modular. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to think of it. And they all interconnect and they all are async. Well, they all mostly can be asynchronous, which is really valuable from a platform speed standpoint. Where I've changed my mind is, and, and I can tend to go to extremes kind of with my ideas, but my original thought was converting to from a monolith to microservices has to go down to the smallest, smallest microservice possible. And what I've realized and, and kind of through talking to my peers and listening to individuals like you know, Ryan Graciano on, on Code Story from the, he's a CEO, a CTO and co-founder of uh, Credit Karma. And he, he has a pretty strong position on not quite monolith, not quite microservices, you know, like really it's like broken up monolith. So it's like just making them small enough. And so that's really changed my mind there. And what's uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? <laughs> I'm a, I can come off as pretty stoic sometimes that I'm not, I don't really have a lot of emotions going on, but that's, that's very far from true. <laughs> Got a lot going on on the inside. Well, no, I appreciate you you coming on and sharing your story. I can I can totally see how you and Zach would have spent like just almost an hour or more plus, probably more, just geeking out on all this stuff because I get the sense that you guys are very simpatico when it comes to your love of tech and, and technology. But actually, I, I, what I sense is, and knowing you guys, uh, knowing Zach really well, and having had a couple of conversations with you, is I get the sense that there's a, a passion in what you do, and also a, a, a feeling that you want to 
to help, like using technology to enable, to help, to make the world a better place. And, and that's consistent with, with the both of you. So, you know, kudos to, for, for the work that you've done. And, and it's, and obviously even things like providing an employment for 80 people, providing like this marketplace, you know, for people to find services or get help that they might have otherwise struggled with. And then also using your, your podcast as a platform to tell the stories, probably for some of these people, like untold stories that they don't get to share a lot as well. So I, you know, I just want to con thank, uh, congratulate you on, on putting all those things in motion. I think you're doing good work. Thanks, Eric. I certainly appreciate that. I, I receive it to heart. And, and this has been a, a blast. I really appreciate you having me on the show. So let's uh, give folks the details on where they can listen to the podcast and then connect with you online as well. Absolutely. So my, my primary social presence is on LinkedIn. So you can grab me on LinkedIn just at Noah Labhart. And uh, as far as the, the Code Story podcast, you can check us out at CodeStory.co or any major podcast directory, your favorite podcast app of, of, of choice by searching Code Story. And um, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. You can, uh, you, there's a email you can grab on the website as well. And um, would love to chat. Thanks again for your time, Noah. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Harry. So thanks again to Noah Labart for sharing his story with this audience. I always enjoy talking to other entrepreneurs and folks who've gone down the path of creating their own startup, and he's had a lot of success with Variable. so I really enjoyed diving deep on that. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Podcast production and marketing by Fullcast. Sign up for a free 15-minute chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Focusrite, specifically the Scarlet 2i2-3G sound card, which is something I'm using with every recording now. You can get more details about the full line at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Tune in next week for my conversation with Nicole Holland of Interviews That Convert. If you made it this far, you're no doubt waiting for the retention hashtag. Let's go with code NOAH. C-O-D-E-N-O-A-H and you can tag me at podcast underscore junkies and Noah at code story underscore. So it's code story C-O-D-E-S-T-O-R-Y and the underscore character. Thanks again for all you do to support the show. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>